Okay, well, good morning. That was a, just a little bit of an ouch. We're going to dismiss our children now uh, that are promised land, uh, grade five and under. You guys are free to go with your leaders down the hall to Brookside, and you'll have an exciting time together. For uh, you older kids that are staying with me, we're going to be looking at uh, the last book of the Bible in just a few moments. So if you want to turn to Revelation chapter 12, you'll be ready to read with me in just a moment. Revelation chapter 12. So we have been, uh, for these four Sundays of Advent, reflecting on how good God is. We've been talking about how He gifts us. And uh, as we've done that, we've tried to get at some adjectives that can help us uh, to unpack that and to grasp hold of the the infinite with our finite mind. Friends, I can uh, advance it. Can you advance it for me? There we go. Now let's see if it works. It's not. Okay. So we talked about extravagant gifts. We started uh, in the first week of Advent saying how crazy it is that God gives us gifts the way that He does. It's just over the top, not deserved, can't be earned, um, and primarily in that mix of gifts is himself. There's no way we deserve to have the present of God's presence. And I guess you're going to have to advance all of them for me. Um, let me just give you one of these when I'm ready to go forward. Okay, guys? All right. Then we said that we're expensive gifts. Now, when you talk about God who owns everything and is infinitely wealthy, he has no need. You go, well, how can something be expensive to somebody that has no needs, that has no limit to what he can do or what he can spend, if you will? And we talked about how that um, was a matter of his incarnating himself and giving himself on the cross. He gave us all. And so in that sense, it was very expensive. And then we talked last time about how enduring it is. One of the things that's such a disappointment about our cultural Christmas is that it seems to not endure. It seems to be so temporal and so short-lived. And uh, December 26th, it was like, what was that? And it's all over with. Uh, but what God is up to with true Christmas is enduring. And not only lasts for a season, it lasts for a lifetime. It lasts for eternity. And then today, we're talking about how those gifts are insured. In other words, uh, nothing can happen to take it away from you, to destroy it, to mar it in any kind of way. His gift is that special and that precious. So I want to unpack that more with you today. And to do so, we're going to flip back a little bit to the events of the past week. So uh, you know that a week ago Friday, we had the horrific uh, uh, things take place in Connecticut at the uh, Sandy Hook School and uh, the children and staff members that had been killed. Uh, many of you are aware that as of yesterday, the last of those funerals had taken place. Can you imagine? Small little community, 26 funerals across a week, many of whom that you would know or have some familiarity with. So as uh, maybe you would have done, many of them have done, they ended up going to church. And uh, on the very first day, many of them went to the churches and they began to pray and they began to seek God about that. Uh, you may have also heard that on Sunday, as uh, many gathered at one of the local churches, uh, some whacked guy calls into the church and says, I'm going to finish 
what was started at the school, and I'm coming uh, to kill people in your church. And so the authorities were notified. They immediately came. They evacuated the church building. Police had to go through every uh, corner of the building to make sure that there was no legitimate threat to the whole thing. Uh, it just added to the angst and the grief of the whole experience. Not only that, every time people tried to gather in the church, media somehow stuck their nose in the midst of it. And so just trying to have a meaningful connect with God was uh, extremely challenging. So much so that as uh, one of the last funerals was taking place, uh, one grandmother was uh, on her way from one church to another church. One funeral service to another funeral service. And a media person stuck a mic in her face and said something to the effect of how are you going to be able to experience or celebrate Christmas? And she more or less said, are you kidding me? Who can celebrate Christmas? How can that even happen? It's a pretty good question, isn't it? I mean, if something had befallen our community like that, would we be asking that same question? How can we even celebrate Christmas in light of this horrific tragedy. And the fact of the matter is, some of you have either up close and personal uh, or very near to you a variety of hardships, even crises going on that raise that same question for you, even though it isn't the same level as our friends in Connecticut, it's significant. And so some of you are financially challenged right now. Some of you are relationally challenged. Something's going on in your your family or in your marriage. Some, some of you are uh, health challenged. You don't know how something's going to turn out that's in the process right now. How in the face of such things can we celebrate Christmas? Well, to get at that, let me ask you another question. What's the song that's in your heart? Because the song that resonates in your heart... And you go, well, I'm not very musical. you still got a song there. And the song that resonates in your heart will give you a clue about how or if you'll be able to celebrate Christmas. Now, understand, I'm not, I'm not trying to necessarily pick on anything. I just want to draw a contrast for you. So, for example, if your songs are, Have a Holly Jolly Christmas, or chestnuts roasting on the open fire, or I'm dreaming of a white... Now listen, I'm not trying to pick on those things because I love those songs. All those songs are on my playlist. Okay? And more. And uh, I've been listening to them on the, the CD player through the week and so on like that. But friends, that sentimental, cultural Christmas can be severely challenged with the tragedies in Connecticut or the struggles that you have in your personal life. Because they're not the real deal. They are a plastic Christmas. They are a very faint, poor imitation. Fun. I'm not saying don't do it. There's nothing wrong with having... Uh, chestnuts roasting on your fire, you know, as you're singing about dream, dreaming about a white Christmas. Nothing wrong with that. But you have to make sure that you understand what the true Christmas is and what the heart of the whole thing is. And so in light of that, I draw your attention to the first 
Christmas carol. The first Christmas song. Does that give you a clue? The image on the screen? So in Luke chapter 1, when Mary is uh, told by the angel that she's going to bear a child who will be the Christ, the Son of God, not long thereafter she goes to visit her cousin uh, Elizabeth. And while they are having this conversation, uh, the child that is in Elizabeth leaps at the child that is in Mary. And of course, uh, Elizabeth's child will go on to be John the Baptist, and Mary's child goes on to be Jesus. And as they are reflecting and talking with one another about what wondrous things God is doing, Mary breaks out in song. And she begins by talking about how magnificent, how incredible and glorious and wondrous God is, how grateful and humble she is that God would use her. But then she goes on to say in her song, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. In other words, Mary's song is something of a war song. Talking about a king who has defeated his foes and his enemies. And friends, that's a hint of what Christmas is about. It's about war. It's about good versus evil, God versus all that is fallen and broken. And God wins. And the birth of Christ is celebrated in that spirit. So, let let me just remind us quickly things that you know. After Adam and Eve had this coup against God, rebelled in the garden, and fell, they... And all of us thereafter are cursed. We are cursed as a people. This world is cursed as a planet. Life has become cursed and fallen. Romans 6.23 says it this way, the wages of sin, what you get paid for sin, is death. And that's what this world is full of. Dying, decaying, Deadly things. Broken, sick, twisted, perverse, depraved. Any other encouraging adjectives I can throw your way? But the good news is that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what we're celebrating. That this is a busted world. It's twisted and sick. It's dark and there's going to be a lot of horrendous Connecticut-type tragedies to take place. That's not the last one. There will be many more to come. But there's hope because there's a God in heaven who cares, who knows, who intervenes, who's involved to bring life as a gift. Now, amongst the many songs that we sing that uh, hopefully has some level of lodging in your heart these days is a song that was penned in the 1700s by Isaac uh, Watts, who is considered to be the father of hymnody. And he uh, penned something over 750 hymns. I, I just can't even comprehend that. 
And uh, one of those that he penned was Joy to the World. That he did not intend to be a Christmas carol. <laughs> but somehow uh, the message just resonates so much uh, with this time of the year that it's become a staple of, the, of this time of the year. Uh, perhaps you're familiar with the, the first verse well. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Right? You're probably familiar with the second verse. And once you get into it, if you have the words, you're probably familiar with the third verse. But let's focus on that for just a minute. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. That's Christmas. Far as the curse is found, He comes to address our sorrows, our sickness, our screwed up lives. He comes to make His blessings flow. So, uh, C.S. Lewis tried to get at this with his storytelling. Most of you are familiar with uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. And the way that he described that uh, through his storytelling was as such. He talked about this world like Narnia that has come under the curse of a witch. Where, and, and this phrase I think is just tremendous. It's, it's a phrase that's found lodging in my heart. He says, it's a place where it's always winter, but never Christmas. See, plastic Christmas stuff, that's like winter without true Christmas. And that's what she brought, so that uh, all the inhabitants of Narnia were basically frozen people that had no lives. They were present in Narnia, but they had no real lives. And the role that Father Christmas plays in all of that is to come and to announce, hey, the witch, this frozen tundra of Narnia, has limited time because Aslan is on the move, the Christ figure of that story. So Father Christmas's whole purpose, not unlike St. Nicholas, is to point people to the coming Christ who will bring life and vitality back to the frozen world of sin. That's how Lewis got at it. How did the Apostle John get at it. And we're, that's where we will be reading today from Revelation chapter 12. And so if uh, you have your scripture open, read along with me. I'll try to give a little uh, unpacking of it along the way we're gonna, because we're going to read several verses. Uh, if you're not familiar with this text, and this is the, the last parts of our reading of the year. Amen. Uh, you're, you're in for some uh, unbelievable reading. Verse 1, And a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. This is the Christmas story. It sounds a little bit different from Matthew and Luke. And uh, a birth is about to be given to a Savior, to a Messiah. 
So she's pregnant and she's crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads seven diadems or crowns. So what you're looking at is at the birth of Jesus, who is being birthed through God's people, Israel, is uh, at that moment threatened. At that moment, uh, the attempt is being made to kill or to snuff out his life before he can do any saving work. The red dragon being Satan and all the uh, heads and horns representing the powers of this world that are under his rule and under his authority. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So he lived, he accomplished his mission, and he ascended back to heaven. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Some understand that to be some reference to the tribulation, and I'm not going to take time to unpack all that. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. So you're basically talking about Satan and demons fighting against Michael and angels. But the dragon and his angels were defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, and the deceiver of the whole world. And he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. That would be demons. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. That's Advent. We've been waiting for the coming, waiting for the coming, waiting for the coming. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Isn't that interesting? The way that God goes about overcoming evil and Satan and darkness and death in, in this world by the blood of the Lamb, the work that Jesus did, and by your testimony. Every time you walk with the Lord, Every time you're faithful in obedience. Every time you choose holiness over depravity. Every time you are uh, sanctified, set apart for His use, His purposes, His glory, His pleasure. It's a death blow against the enemy. Overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. There's your Christmas story. Again, I enjoy all the other stuff. All the cultural, sentimental, warm and fuzzy stuff. But friends, at the end of the day, it's pretty insipid. 
and it's actually a little bit on the boring side. And some of you have those moments. I mean, aside from what happens with your children and how excited they get about this or that, it's, it's kind of a boring thing. Except for all that hectic pace of trying to get this done, that done, make everybody happy. It's kind of a boring thing. But the real deal is the drama of heaven. It's the story of all stories. It's the battle of all battles. And you are in the midst and in the heart of it. So that reporter that got hold of that grandmother and said, you know, how are you going to celebrate Christmas? And she's like, well, how in the world can I celebrate Christmas? A little bit later, he interviewed another guy. This guy had actually been in Aurora, Colorado when uh, he was there on vacation when the shooting took place in that theater a few months ago. And he thought, I'll never see or hear anything like that again. And he, of course, lives in Newtown. And there it was last week. And he had the same question, how are you going to celebrate Christmas? He says, oh, I'm going to celebrate Christmas. We'll find a way to celebrate Christmas. My family will find a way to engage God at this time. My family will attend a Christmas Eve service. My family will do a scripture reading. My family will be turning to the Lord. We will have Christmas. We may not have all of the sideshow that normally is a part of this time of year, but we will have Christmas. First John chapter 3 reminds us how loved we are. How much God cares. How much we matter to Him. To what extent He has gone to gift us. So that it's finally summarized in verse 5 just by He appeared in order to take away sins. Everything that would hinder, everything that would block, everything that would prevent His good gifts from finding root in your life, He appeared in order to take those things away. Take away sin. So what? What does that matter to you? What, what difference does it make that you've been here today? I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to challenge you in two ways. And the first is this. Will you keep Christ central to your celebration of Christmas? That doesn't mean don't gather around the tree, don't open a present, don't have the big family meal and all that. Do all that. That's fine. But you have to keep Christ central in whatever way God stirs you to keep that central. And will you pray for all who only have cultural Christmas. Because, friends, uh, it's a tragedy what took place in Connecticut. It really is. It's a greater tragedy to be so close to Christmas and not get it. To be so close to the giver of all good gifts. So close to the receiving of all good gifts. So close to eternal life. And yet miss it. 
for a plastic substitute. Let's pray. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. Lord, thank You for coming with saving grace, with blessing, with life. It is joy to the world. And we not only give You thanks, but we yield our lives to You. We make room in our heart casting aside other lesser things so that you have your proper preeminent place on the throne of our hearts. Thank you for being the great conqueror. Thank you for overcoming sin, death, sickness, weakness, depravity. Thank you for embracing our lives. And we pray for our friends and our loved ones who are close but don't get it? Or would this be a season where you touch their heart, penetrate their heart, and they would have their heart drawn to you? Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.